Hi, my name is Michael Warren. I'd like to give you some background on one of my best friends. I call him my brother from another mother. Your host, Jed Hughes. Jed climbed up the football coaching ranks working for and alongside seven Hall of Fame coaches, including Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Tony Dungy, and Bo Schimbeckler, just to name a few. Now, I met Jed at my alma mater, UCLA, where I was an All-American basketball player and two-time captain for a couple of Coach John Wooden's championship teams. While Jed was a great defensive coordinator at UCLA recruiting a historic class, I was a cast member on the Emmy Honor television series, Hill Street Blues. Jed somehow creatively involved me in his recruiting pitch, and that turned out to be a lot of fun. After a great stint at UCLA, Jed worked in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cleveland Browns. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Jed holds a master's degree from the University of Stanford and a PhD from the University of Michigan and has led the sports consulting practice for two global executive search firms. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri, and four of the five power conference commissioners, along with many athletic directors and C-suite executives across the industry. I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes podcast. Through this podcast series, Jed will dive into what makes leaders, coaches, and executives great, and what separates the Hall of Famers from the rest. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Welcome to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Marcus Elliott, a Harvard-trained physician specializing in the performance enhancement and the development of elite athletes. As the founder and director of P3, he's dedicated to applying cutting-edge science for optimal athletic achievement. Welcome, friends. Marcus, when we met in the beginning of March, look what's happened in the last four months. I don't even like replaying that, Jed, thinking thinking uh, where we're at in March. You, When you were out, it was, uh, yeah, we were just starting to get worried, you know, and it was early stages of, is this thing, uh, is this thing real or is it not real? It's only continued now for the last three or four months. It's part of why our, our, our country has been so uh, such in disarray in our response is we, we haven't been, we haven't been uniform at all, but it was already starting then, as you remember. No question about it. How'd your family handle this? What did you guys do? My family's been amazing. You know, we got, we've got three small kids, we've got a 13 year old son and, and then, and then a seven and a 10 year old daughter. And unequivocally, my family's been amazing. Like they're, they're killing it over this thing. Um, I'm seeing how self-directed my kids are, which is uh 
which is a great thing for a parent to see. And um, and then we've also had a lot more family time. You know, I've got I've got a lot more time with the girls. I was just doing it. I was just on a on a virtual conference, and uh, and I, my seven year old kept coming in and shooting me with uh, this with this bow and arrow. She's a bow and arrow shooter now. So I'm trying to present, and she's she's coming here and ambushing me. So. We've got some great time with the family and, and overall, you know, it's been good on the family. But pro sports have been tough, you know, as you know, stop and go and maybe go and maybe stop. And, you know, every week is a triage. You know, when you and I talked, you know, we had a chance to talk each day and your your discussions and motivation reminded me when I went to UCLA, I was a young, I just got my PhD. I was an assistant coach and, and John Wooden's locker was right, right across from mine. And he had just retired. For the next six years, almost every home football game, he took me to breakfast. But the thing that was remarkable is thinking about your motivation. He built his pyramid of success, and the two cornerstones were hard work and enthusiasm. And at the top of it was success. And when I listened to you talk about when you were young and how your father helped you and you had an injury your senior year and how driven you were, it made me think of Coach Wooden's pyramid of success, enthusiasm and hard work and how it's affected your career. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm humbled to be uh, compared to uh, anything that, that Coach Wooden was putting out in the world. You know, he's, uh, he's an icon. And uh, so I, I, I appreciate that. I, I can't deny the enthusiasm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Like, it's, uh, it's kind of strange that I was, I was as focused as, and as enthusiastic about the space as I was. Because I'll tell you also that when, when you told me that you did a, you did a PhD in the space that you were like you were interested in physiology right. and absolutely and, and you know this this training space that uh, that was really great for me to hear. I mean, I had no idea, so I'm like, okay, I've got some overlap with this guy. This is this is going to be even more interesting than I thought. Um, but there was no you know there was no academic track to go do what I wanted to do, and there was no career doing it. And even when I was, so I really made up an academic track. I mean, there was no sports science in professional sports. Uh, but that, that's what I want to do. I want to use more data and technology to do take care of athletes better. And, uh, you know, I had all these different signposts along the way that kind of accelerated my enthusiasm. You know, a lot of people start out with dreams and and um, and not a lot of people finish with those same dreams still intact. And I, I want to be one of those people that did. You know, the accelerants were things like seeing how well this data-driven approach worked, you know, working with athletes at the highest level in Olympic sports and seeing um, that we were able to give them another one or two percent, and so having a lot of guys that were extremely successful, including ones that were kind of discarded because they didn't fit in the one size fit all program. They had unique systems, and we were able to tease out how their systems were unique. So I thought we had some really good saves in, in Olympic sports when I was when I was younger. I worked in Olympic sports, but then I, I think also um, you know the sports you've been around, you've worked in, done a lot, obviously, but uh, sports that have a ball involved in football and I know you have a lot of deep relationships in basketball and baseball in these sports. Um, when I would look at athletes in these sports compared to the Olympic athletes we were working with yet, it was obvious there was so much more slack in their systems in terms of development. You know, we have, I think when you were in, we have some Olympic track athletes we work with and these athletes, I mean, we're trying to give them one or 2%, you know, there's a lot of, we get some Olympic athletes in and we don't know if we're going to be able to make them better or not. When we get an NBA player in, we know we can make them better. They always have slack in their system. There's always something that can work better. When I saw that, when I was in my in my mid twenties, I thought, well, that can't that can't be sustained. You had gotten your MD at that point, and you're going on, and because you had done some work for the NFL. 
and some he had a year's work that he did some uh, some study with with the National Football League. Yeah, so I started, you know, I started in these Olympic sports where where you're trying to give athletes small margins, and and I worked in those sports uh, even when I was in medical school. I still worked. I worked with uh, Olympic skaters and skiers and some sprinters. So I, you know, worked all around in, in Olympic sports, and then and then I started dabbling in professional sports, both first with a few athletes and then uh, with the Patriots. You know, I got I got uh, brought in to help. I mean, how did you get into that? Because having a PhD and being a coach. You, yeah. you get on the product side, and sometimes they're looking at you like you're you're not one of them. Well, I, I wasn't one of them, you know. So, and there were no people quite like me in those spaces when we started. And now there's a lot. There's a lot of them. So we have people we can talk to about data and assessment right. and all that stuff. It's kind of great. But 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 you know, you you kind of uniquely, you know, you don't want to be seen as an outsider uh, if you're trying to be uh, inside the bubble of these of pro sports. And so that's that that can be challenging. So the, the thing with the Patriots, I was I was actually planning on I wanted to do research looking at uh, injury profiles and and correlates with how these athletes are being prepared in NFL teams. So what, what I want to do is to study training patterns of NFL teams. And there was just there was a few ways that train that athletes were being trained in NFL at the time. And I knew that that how they were being trained would be reflected in the types of injuries they had. And so I was planning on on pushing forward with that project and the head of sports medicine at Harvard uh, found out about this this project that I was pushing out. I was going to NFL Players Association with that project, and um, and he said, "Look, you know, we've had all these muscle injuries, and um, you know, I know you've done some work. We've heard about some of the work you've done around around hamstring injuries, and I was I was wondering if you if you instead of working with the with the league or working with the NFL Players Association, if you come over here and help us." And so that was really the start. And uh, he was a, he was a team physician. His name uh, was uh, Bird Zarens. He was a, a great guy and just like a, an icon in sports medicine. And uh, was was the head of the sports medicine at uh, Mass General Hospital in Boston. But he was an insider. He'd been with the Patriots for a long time, and he brought me in. So he kind of carried me in. And this project to reduce muscle injuries was a project of of uh, Bob Crafts, Robert Crafts, the owners. And I didn't know at the time how essential it is. In this project with the with the Patriots, you know, and I was I was pretty young in my career. I was just finishing at Harvard Medical School, and uh, everybody thought it was a waste of world class education to go be an overqualified personal trainer, yep. you know, and go go uh, try to train athletes smarter. Like everybody in my academic track thought that was a waste, but I thought it was going to be a damn interesting path, which it has been. You know, it makes sense to people in that space now, but at the time, you know, most people discouraged me from doing it. And I hadn't worked in a lot in pro sports. I hadn't worked on the team side until I, got, until I got pulled into this Patriots project. And the fact that it was being driven by their owner um, was the critical step in the thing working as well as it did. You know, I think the truth is that, and what, what we did is we, you know, we went in and I set up this testing program. So we assessed all the players in the early off season and we trained them based on uh, risk stratification. So we want to reduce muscle injury risk. So we're looking for muscle asymmetries, sprint mechanic issues, all the things that we knew would relate to muscle injuries and then putting a, a preventative program in place. Um, and, and I oversaw, I oversaw uh, the performance staff, uh, the medical staff and uh, our sprint coaches in implementing this program. I think that other than the medical staff, I think probably most people wished I wasn't there. If I'm honest about it, I think I was paying the ass for the strength coach. You know, he said, what's it? This guy's coming in and talking about the biomechanics and squatting and stuff. He's a pain in the ass. You know, I've been in the league for, 
you know, I was with Parcells before and, you know, been in the league for 20 years. And, you know, there's a lot of hurdles along those lines like that, you know, mostly interpersonal stuff, job security stuff. But the fact that it was driven by an owner who had a lot of power in the group and was a really active owner uh, is what propelled it to success. You get into baseball and then you end up forming your own company. So the question is, the baseball piece, you grew up with the Mariners, you kind of you institute a program there. Is there the same kind of pushback? And is the reason you start P3, you want to do your own thing and not have to deal with all the politics? Well, you know what? We started, I started P3 before that. And how, we, how the baseball thing came up was that, um, and listen, your, your thought process is probably pretty accurate. Because I, I, don't have, I don't have a lot of tolerance for the inefficiency of the politics of sport. Right. And, and I mean, you've, you've spent many decades in it. You know this better than almost anybody in the world. There, there are a lot of politics in these organizations. <laughs> and oh, there you go. <laughs> it's a, and I, I, came from, I came from an academic space where it's like, you know, I mean, there's some politics, but mostly you just try to figure shit out. You know, right. you figure shit out and you make the world better. People appreciate that. You put it out in the world and then you go on to the next problem. I think that like all these, you know, we work with a bunch of organizations now and some of them are really efficient. You, you know the guys who run some of them and are friends with some of these guys. Some are really efficient. Some are really inefficient. I have no interest in getting into an organization that, that has significant inefficiencies now. It just, it's a waste of time. It doesn't matter how smart your piece is. It doesn't matter how well you've executed your piece. There's so many places you can go wrong when, you have, when you're working in an organization that just doesn't have, uh, doesn't, is, is not a well-run machine. You know, I took the job in, in, in Major League Baseball. We'd already started training lots of athletes, and so that's why we had the opportunity is we had a lot of the better baseball players were coming through our facility and we were doing motion capture on them and we're, you know, doing kinematic sequencing and things that hadn't really been done before that a lot of people are buzzing about now, but um, we're doing some things that were relatively smart so that people took notice. But we also had, you know, Ryan Braun and Barry Zito and, and Carlos Quinton and a bunch of guys that were decent players coming through and, and, uh, and, and so I, I had offers from a handful of organizations to get involved. And the reason we did it, I mean, since you asked and you were talking about politics, you know, really the reason I, I decided to, to take a job with an organization was that um, I presented to the, the Major League Baseball strength coaches at, at their annual meeting. And I talked about, about, about kinematic sequencing, about rotational mechanics, and gave them all the stuff we'd worked really hard on. Um, and I thought it would be a gift to them. And instead of being a gift, I think a lot of those guys kind of hated me. Like I was coming in and telling them how to do their jobs, which wasn't my intention at all. And, and when I was out there in Indianapolis at the winter meetings, I said, you know what? We have to be a beacon of doing it smarter. We have to show them how we can collect data to better train athletes, to understand athletes with more detail and, and, and personalize this approach much, much better. And so that's, that's really why I took a job in, in, in Major League Baseball was it was essentially to to be a beacon of how it should be done right. And, um, and I think that with the Mariners, you know, they were, they, they were kind of a family run organization, which meant that there was room for lots of inefficiency if you had good relationships, but there was a lot of good people there too. And so I, I think we, I'd say I, I'd give us probably a B on execution. You know, we work, work really hard at it, but um, a lot of politics still, yep. a lot of my energy was spent on politics. Yeah, wasted energy. I'll tell you what, what's really satisfying now, Jed, is that, is that I meet, you know, these people reach out to me every week to two weeks that have jobs in sports science now in Major League Baseball and reach out, and, you know, and sometimes say, you know, thanks, we followed what you did with the Mariners. Or I was in engineering school 
and I saw what you guys were doing and it made me think about getting into sport. And, and so it's really satisfying to feel like um, we've helped kind of pave a way for more of this data on the athlete development side for more sports science applications. From your business, your value proposition and when you started it, what if you put it in one succinct sentence, what was your value proposition when you started P3? Yeah, it was it was really in in uh, in optimizing human performance. Okay, and it's really it was really about understanding. Um, you know, traditionally, like for instance, with the Patriots, they had two um, strength training tracks, two strength tracks. You you were either a strength athlete or you're a speed athlete based on your position. And all the strength athletes were on the strength program. Speed athletes were on the speed program. This doesn't make any sense. Okay, they're going to be they're going to be speed athletes that are closer to other strength athletes than some strength athletes are to other strength athletes. These things need to be, need to be personalized. You can have two athletes that are exactly the same size, same, same age, they play the same position. But one guy has really, really poor hip mobility and isn't able to use this amazing lower body power they have to put themselves in positions to succeed because their hip mobility is so bad. And the athlete right next to them, same age, same position, you know, looks the same, maybe has the same first name, he may have, uh, he may lack lower body power, you know, he lacks exactly what the superpower of the other player that looks just like him has. How you approach those two athletes is completely different. It's completely different, diametrically opposed. And if you don't see that, you're going to wreck a lot of athletes, you know, you're going to put them on exactly the wrong track. And so, um, really our value proposition and how I think, I think how we're known is, is for using um, some technology and data to understand these these unique uh, athletes before we figure out what to do with them, how to train them, and so on. Um, we don't pretend to know before we understand the athlete, and that's becoming common currency now. You know, like teams are trying to do this more and more and more. Which, like I said, it was it felt good to catalyze sports science in baseball, but but really across all these these pro sports. You know, I feel like we've. We really had a, a hand in pushing sports science, building sports science. First of all, I didn't know much about P3. R.C. Buford was the one who introduced us. And he mm -hmm. did it because my son had had all these injuries, right? Bilateral hip surgery, ankle reconstruction, bad, a broken elbow. So we came down and, you know, for people that don't understand what this testing is all about, I mean, you take all these little micro cameras, I'm not sure how, what you call them, but you, you align them along the inside of the hip, the outside of the hip, and then uh, they are on these power plates and they're doing lateral movements, vertical movements, and you collect all this data, you feed the data back with these unbelievable pictures over their, their skeletals, and then you have these training programs. And for three months, I watched my son rehabilitate based on the programs that John kept developing for him and changing every five weeks. He, re yeah. he, he transitioned his body. So I, I, I know with Derek Rose and we talked about Thibodeau, him taking over the Knicks, but what you're able to do, I witnessed, haven't been a coach. I've never seen a person work that way based on the program you gave him. It was unbelievable to watch, to see it in real life, perform it, to play itself out. Well, that's, listen, I appreciate that. So those, those are all super kind words and, uh, and um, I'm glad you feel like your, your son was so well cared for. You know, we can work with an organization. Um, you know, we may do a long-term contract with an organization where we assess all the players and, you know, have a real, uh, maybe we build a lab with them. But when 
a coach, the head coach or the GM or the owner sends his kids to us, that's the ultimate compliment. <laughs> you know, that's the ultimate compliment. Your, your entry point now with teams, is it through the head coach? Is it through players? Is it through the GM? How's it, how, do you, how are you gaining access? You talk about these labs with some of the different teams in the NBA. You have a facility in Atlanta. Yeah. How do you go about putting yourself in that position? You know, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, I, I would, I would say this, that, um, I mean, it come for the, the, the real answer is it comes from, uh, all over the organizations. Uh, you know, it can come from coach. It can come from star players that are out here trying to get their teams to reach out to us. It can come from, uh, GMs, you know, we don't really, we haven't really treated P3 like a business, you know, it's, and so we don't, we don't do any marketing. We never call anybody, Jed, you know, I, like, I'm really proud of that. We don't call, we don't call agents. We don't call teams. We don't, we don't do any of that stuff. We don't do any kind of promotion. All we do is try to figure shit out. And I just, I, you know, we, we base this um, P3 on this idea that if we do this really, really well, that truth will be told and there'll be, there'll be plenty of opportunities from that. And I, I knew that there was a lot of opportunity if we could, if we can execute. And so we really didn't, we haven't really treated it like a business and probably, I'm sure if we got, if we got a consultant from uh, Deloitte, Deloitte in here, um, they would, they would tell us that, you know, we need a lot of things we don't have right now, but we don't, we have, we're not inviting those guys in. Um, we just, we just try to figure this stuff out. We work hard at our game and, and, and people show up at our doorstep. And, and then, uh, you know, when it seems like it's a relationship where with an organization, potential relationship with an organization that's, that's run really well, then it's interesting. Um, and it can, as I said, it can come from the GM, from the owner, um, from coach, from star player, all those are possible entry points. I think that's one of the unique things about being an entrepreneur and a doctor. I mean, there's not like you got a playbook. You're kind of making yeah. your playbook as you go along. You're not driven by the numbers. Um, you don't have sure. uh, shareholders to have to answer to. You answer to yourself and, and your clients, which is a nice place to be. Yeah, it's it's that is, that is that is so true. Yeah, I'm super I'm super fortunate, and I, it's not it's not lost on me. It's been it's been an amazing ride, and and it only gets more interesting. Honestly, every every month is more interesting. When I envisioned uh, P3, I really saw it as building a an academic lab, like a high level, large large scale clinical lab that embeds itself in pro sport. You know, so it's essentially an academic lab, but we're embedded in pro sport. What I saw in in, in sport was that there's there was um, you know there's smart people in physiology and in biomechanics, and you've met some of them, and I've I've, I've had some as mentors and. I've met quite a few and they're, you know, that are working hard in their space and they're doing smart things in, in academic labs around the world. Um, and then there's what happens in sport and they've been completely unrelated. So smart people are doing smart things in, in sports science spaces and then there's sport and they're completely unrelated. And so it was really clear that for me to be successful, you needed to have one foot solidly on the ground in pro sport. You needed to understand it. You had to be able to, you know, be on a sideline and understand the language and, and the value systems and, you know, that the team needs to win on Saturday or Sunday, uh, you know, depending on your sport. And that, because that is the value system is we need to win on Saturday or Sunday. That tends to be a very different value system than people live in academics. You know, the timeframes are completely different. And so um, to have one foot firmly on the ground inside pro sports, but be running this clinical lab was, was really the vision. And that's, I mean, I think, you know, I think we've executed pretty well. No question. So now as the pandemic's 
and then sports are coming back. Major League Baseball, four or five of the really good pitchers have been sidelined already. Yeah. So any surprises? I mean, how do you, as the sports come back, or is yeah. it happen real soon? Yeah, I mean, they, they just started playing. They started playing NBA games a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, these are not. This is not easy. I mean, that's not easy. I think that uh, just a couple couple of comments. One, I really feel like in this pandemic, you see the value of sports extending really deeply into our culture. You know, the value of sports goes beyond the field by a long ways. Sports are so important in our in our culture. It's such, there's such an aspiration in sport. You know, you get these talented athletes that prepare hard. They give give everything they have to these moments, and then they compete. You know, it's our it's our modern modern day gladiators. And there there really is this like deep aspirational component that that reaches far into society. So I feel like I mean, when the NBA said they were stopping, that was like that was when the shoe dropped in in the U.S. You know, people said, oh, boy, this is real. And um, and, and, and and restarting these things is going to be in every league. You know, there's there's different challenges. I mean, we're you know, we're starting we're, right now. We're getting ready to engage with some of the bigger college programs, which we haven't done before. We want to build labs on colleges. You know, we have, have, have a group that's taken us in and, and, and SEC football needs to happen this year. <laughs> you know, if you told people in the South, if you told people in the South that if they wear masks, there will be football on Saturday. People are wearing masks. <laughs> that's what you got to tell them. No that's, all, that's all you need. You know, sports sports are super important in society, and we really feel it right now. The NBA stuff, you know, I talk to guys in the bubble like every couple of days. It's, it's super interesting. They've done an amazing job with it. In general, Jed, you know, these 25-year-old these really healthy athletes, if they get COVID, they're going to be okay. Not a whole lot of risk to them. So I think that when you think about starting these leagues, you really have to start with that. Um, even though people's fear of getting it is, is super varied, uh, just like it is in our society. You know, athletes' fear of getting it is really varied. And we've talked to dozens and dozens of athletes. have been on calls about this stuff uh, with big groups of athletes, you know, brought in by their agents or, you know, some type of representation. And, and some of the athletes are terrified. If you're a healthy 25-year-old and you get covid um, there is a tiny, tiny, tiny probability that you have long-term issues from it. That's just that's just the truth. So I don't worry about these athletes that much. Uh, I do worry about uh, environments where, like like baseball dugouts, where it can spread like crazy when one athlete gets it, and pretty soon all of the athletes have it, and then it's spreading to families. Um, and um, and I also, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if if COVID infections uh, disrupt outcomes in some of these these leagues trying to go you know, get their game on, you know, if uh, LeBron and three Lakers get COVID because JR was outside the bubble during the NBA finals, everyone's going to forget about him not knowing what the score was when he got that rebound in game one a couple of years ago. Yeah, no doubt. So, so like things like that could happen, you know, I mean, they really could. This thing is, is, is circulating and isn't, isn't going away in the next few months. When you think about, two to three years, five years, what's optimizing athletic performance look like? How is it, in what direction are you moving in? Where do you see oh, it? Oh, man. The environment for athlete development right now, for athlete support, for injury prevention, it's, it's, it's so much better than it was a decade ago. A lot of teams, you know, all this data we collect, these, you know, we have these giant data sets in, in pro sport. Um, where, like in the NBA, we have almost 60% of the active rosters have been through one of our facilities and 
has been assessed. So we, you know, we're constantly um, looking at the, the correlations between how athletes move and who gets injured. And we're looking for competitive advantages and how to optimize those and um, translating those things into organizations, um, setting up these closed loop systems where you collect data and you know what the data means and you make lives by it, better by it. I mean, that's really the future. We're at this stage right now, Jet, I feel like if this is a 10-step process, we're probably at step two or three in, in a process of, of kind of optimizing uh, career productivity for athletes, decreasing risk and increasing performance. Um, a lot of organizations have some technology they use. They're collecting some data, but it's really rare to find organizations that are able to use that data on a regular basis to make athletes' lives better. I mean, I, I witnessed it in, in prime time and, and in real life in terms of how you took data and how you put a program together. And I mean, you constantly, whether it's Derek Rose or other people have been through that, that you've been able to get back and, and help them come back to a high level of, of achievement. I mean, you mentioned Derek Rose. We've assessed Derek a few times now, and, and he's a wonderful human being. Like he could have been, it could have gone so much worse. I mean, he is like, that is, he is a strong individual I mean, like mentally strong come through what he's come through go through the injuries he's gone through and, and 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 move on to have such a productive career but Derek you know Derek had this ACL injury when he's coming off an MVP and he's a great illustrative case that's why I, I, I stick on it um, you know he had an ACL injury coming off an MVP year he's a best in class 23 year old in the world in his sport and um, he recovers from this ACL he goes through a standard protocol and his team is talking about him jumping higher, that he's, uh, he looks amazing, and they bring him back. When that was happening, we happened to have all the uh, – we had Adidas basketball visiting, all the bosses from Adidas basketball, and they didn't, they'd invest you know, most of their campaign in Derrick Rose. And, um, it com- and coming back from this ACL, I mean, they were – this is, you know, I don't know, seven years ago. And, um, and, and I said, look, it doesn't matter if he's jumping higher. Maybe he is jumping higher. Maybe he's not. What matters is, does he move like he did when he was a best-in-class 23-year-old? Or is he coming back with these compensation patterns? So you're going to put other parts of his body at risk. Does he move like an efficient best-in-class 23-year-old in the world in a sport? It doesn't really matter how high he's jumping. What are his movement patterns like? How symmetric is he? What type of rotations do you have across joints? These kind of things. And, and, and the truth is, you know, the organization didn't know because they didn't collect these things. Mm-hmm. And so they were just relying on somebody's best clinical judgment. He looks pretty good. And when you see somebody jumping as high as Derek Rose jumps, you say he looks really good. <laughs> right. And, um, and just because he's jumping high doesn't mean he's good. Right. And so what we do, for instance, in that sport, because like I said, we, we have over 58% of the active rosters have been of the active athletes have been through P3. And if a player gets hurt, then we, we try to intervene. We try to serve them because we have this baseline data. We know everything about how they land, how they jump, how they, how they slide, how they change direction. And so um, uh, a few years ago, um, Zach Levine tore his ACL. Yes. yes. And we started hearing seven or eight months out that, that he's jumping higher than he did before he hurt his ACL. And so we reached out to the Bulls and uh, Chip Schaefer there, is, to his credit, is a, you know, he's a super, super knowledgeable guy. But to his credit, he, uh, he collaborated with us on this and we had baseline data. And we compared uh, Zach to, to his, his, his baseline testing and they're getting ready to bring him back. And he looks more risky than he did before he got hurt. And he'd already proved he was at risk because he got hurt. 
And so now not only is his left, left knee at risk, but now his right knee is showing red everywhere from our assessment. You know, he's doing a bunch of things to put his right knee at risk. And the Bulls, to their credit, didn't bring him back then at eight months like they planned. They kept him out for another six weeks, and they worked on these things that we'd identified were his high-risk uh, issues. It is such a granular view, Jed, at, at apples to apples of this athlete pre-injury, this athlete post-injury, that allows you to not guess about whether he's back to what he was. You know exactly how he compares after he in, was injured to how he compared before. Everybody's going to do that in the future. Like everyone's going to do that. And then, you know, the, so the Bulls worked on, on, on rehabbing him after we reassessed him, and then they sent him back again. And after that six weeks of additional training and rehab, he looked really, really, really good. He looked better than we'd ever seen him, far better than he looked before he got hurt. You know, with some confidence, this is an athlete that's built to last now, right? Yeah, and um, and we have that view so often deep inside organizations that the organizations wouldn't don't have themselves. And in the future, they all need that. You know, all these players need that type of. They need to look at all the cards in their hand before they before they lay something down. You know, and right now the organizations don't look at all those cards, and so that's that's part of the future. No, absolutely. When you think about one or two of your proudest accomplishments, what do you think they've been? When I think about P3, I don't think about me. I think about, um, you know, the organization because, you know, you've met a lot of our guys. We've got a bunch of brilliant guys working for us. And I sometimes feel redundant in our, in our group, but I, I, I'm really proud that um, we've, we've catalyzed the sports science space in, in pro sports. You know, I'm proud that not just of what we've done, but, that by me taking, you know, this, this first sports science job in, in the NFL and then same thing in Major League Baseball and then all the work we've done in the NBA now, I was pushing in, push, pushing out this idea that, that we need to know more about athletes before we figure out um, what to do with them. And we need to try to reduce risk of injury based on real data before athletes get hurt instead of just trying to put them back together. I'm really proud that we've helped catalyze that in sport overall. Um, I would also say this, I'm really, I mentioned it before, but I'm uh, I'm really proud. I'm proud that uh, that um, when everyone told me this was a waste of world class education to go be this overqualified personal trainer, I'm really proud that somehow I had the conviction to keep going. You know, when your when your academic uh, dean at Harvard Medical School says, you know, don't go waste your career doing this thing. Come, you know, go do this with us or do that. Um, and, and as a 23 or 24 year old, I'm able to say, no, I think I appreciate that, but I'm going to go do this thing anyway. I, got, I give myself credit for that. You know, I'm proud of that. And I brought my family back to Boston in November and, you know, I, I was given their highest uh, sports medicine award. The Augustus Thorndike uh, visiting professorship and lecturer. And I gave grand rounds out at Harvard and Mass General Hospital. And uh, the thing I loved about that was the arc of it, Jed, that, that w when I was out there as a student, uh, and immediately post-training, everyone was saying, don't go waste your this world-class education and do this thing. But then we went out and did it. You know, we did the heavy lifting to, to get this, this momentum on it. And now they're saying, you know, we think this is a huge part of the future. Can you come back and teach us about this stuff? You know, we think this is the future of sports medicine. Will you teach us about this sports science space you work in? So that was, that was, a, that was a really beautiful arc for me personally. Your explorative mind in terms of staying out in front. I mean, you've been on the leading edge of this. I, I appreciate you taking time to visit with us and to get your candid responses. Uh, again, 
coming out and having a chance to meet you one-on-one -on -one and with my son there was really a privilege of mine. 